0: We are going to continue our series this morning entitled Pivotal Moments, and we're looking at uh, several moments throughout the scripture where there's a big, um, uh, I guess, uh, story or a big, like we just said, moment that happens that has implications for you and I. And I'll be honest, I had a pivotal moment this weekend. Uh, Yesterday was my birthday. Um, (laughs) Calm down. We all have them. It's okay. (sighs) Okay. Yesterday's my birthday, 28 years old, going on 58. Um, And so, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, 28 years old yesterday, and birthdays are so interesting to me. Uh, Birthdays are the days where you get the text messages from people that you haven't heard from since the last time they texted you, happy birthday. Uh, And so you see their message, like, oh, cool. And when you scroll up, you're like, oh, this is our only conversation. Happy birthday. Thanks, man. And I say, happy birthday. Thanks, man. Like, that's all we do is just text each other on a birthday, right? Or maybe it's Facebook which seems to make a big deal about birthdays, um, and, uh, I, and, and invariably, every year, you get that Facebook notification, and you have to think, who is that person? <laughs> like, maybe that's my fault for letting creeps into my life, but uh, accepting the rando friend requests, but, uh, but I, I, I'll read, the, I, you seem to care an awful lot about my birthday, um, but I, I don't know you, Joe, and so, uh, and you get those, right, but for me, birthdays are a day of reflection, uh, you get the texts and the phone calls from, from loved ones, from friends, family that call you back to, to a memory or something dumb that I did in high school um, or whatever. My mom calls yesterday and has a story about five-year-old Graham and how five-year-old Graham was so excited because I was a whole hand old. And so every time somebody asked me, I got to say I'm this many, right? It was all five fingers. My wife actually put a picture up on social media of five-year-old Graham. On three, Awe, one, two, three. Aww. Thank you for indulging me in that. Uh, we put that up uh, on Instagram, on our student page, um, and had our students caption this picture with whatever they think that picture could be associated with. And can I just tell you your students' real jerks? Uh I, uh, I blame the student pastor. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, if somebody teach them about Jesus, maybe they wouldn't act that way. But uh, anyway, birthdays are significant days. The days of reflection, days of gratitude, right? You made it another year. For me, uh, and I think maybe for you, uh, we, we come to that point where it's a good thing for us to have moments of reflection. It's a good thing for us to draw up 30,000 feet look into our lives and see God's faithfulness, see what he's done for us in the past, celebrate what he's doing now, and look forward to what he's doing in the future. There's a text in the Bibles, Luke chapter 22. Uh, in your Bibles, Luke 22 is where we will be this morning. A text where Jesus' followers, the men closest to him, and therefore the rest of the church, are given this opportunity to reflect. They're instructed to reflect, to think about God's faithfulness, to Think about God's provision and what you're going to do in the future. By the way, I'm sweating profusely. The only thing worse than wearing a suit is wearing a suit in bright lights while you're sunburnt. Um, and so I'm cracking under here and, you know, I'll just hit the aloe in between services and we'll move on. Uh, and so uh, as long as it's not a distraction for you, uh, Chris Farley up here is going to continue on Luke chapter 22. So, man, you guys are making it really easy for me today. Good. Jason's going to be so mad you're laughing at my jokes today. Uh Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to pick up this morning. Let me set the scene for you. Uh, Jesus is preparing himself and his people for um, what, what's about to happen, right? Jesus is basically, this is the beginning of the end for him. This is, this is the, uh, the, the, he was about to be arrested, about to be tried, about to eventually be crucified and, and then be resurrected. And he's preparing his followers, basically telling them, hey, everything you know that has been true before is no longer true. Everything, the way of life you've gotten used to to this point is not going to be so in the coming days, weeks, months, years. And and as you can imagine, incredibly unsettling for the disciples who are just now getting to really hit a groove with Jesus, right? We're three years in and and we're we're hitting hitting a pretty good pace here. And then Jesus says, hey, everything's about to shift. Everything's about to change. And then it's in that vein of the conversation, we pick the text up in verse 14 of Luke chapter 22. he says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, He took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. Now, in a COVID world, That's a little bit unsettling, not very COVID-friendly, right? Take it and just pass it around. But that's what happened in this moment, sharing it together. Continues on in verse 18. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19. And then he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. If you didn't get a chance as you walked in, uh, the little cups of communion on the tables out there, now would be the time so uh, nobody's looking at you later on when we get to the serious part. Uh, and so if you didn't get that, make sure you slip out the back, maybe somebody, some of our ushers or whoever can help you with that. Uh, but we are gonna be dealing with communion today. And when we think about communion, uh, for a lot of us, It can get a little bit familiar. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've been around Christianity, even from a distance, you're familiar with the Lord's Supper, right? You're familiar with this communion moment. You may have even seen the paintings, right? Da Vinci's famous, I think it was Da Vinci's famous painting of the Lord's Supper. And I think for us, that's a dangerous thought to get familiar to where it kind of just, oh, that's just part of the scripture. There's that that story again, right? I knew that was in there somewhere. And I think it, it, it takes on uh, great significance in some ways. I think uh, we, we, we know communion. We, we recognize this story as a moment of, of, of deep worship. We, we reflect on what God has done for us. Jesus' brutal death on the cross, His, His, His payment for our sin. taking the cross so that we wouldn't have to, we acknowledge that sacrifice, we celebrate his resurrection, his defeat over death and hell and the grave, and then we, we, we thank God for his continual provision in our lives. It's that moment of, of worship. It's an ordinance of the church that we institute and what we, we try to do very frequently to, to, to call us to that place of deep-seated and at sometimes even emotionally powerful worship. And all that's true, but I think there's a piece of this this morning that would be very helpful for you and I to dial in on, for you and I to think about. There in verse 19, we'll read it again. Verse 19, he says, this word that I want us to pay attention to today. It says, and he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he says this, do this in remembrance of me. That word, remembrance. In the Greek, hang on, don't lose, don't, don't lose me. In the Greek, the word is this word, I'll put it on the screen for you, anamemnesko, everybody say anamemnesko. Oh, wow. We don't speak tongues here, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Anamemnesko, two parts to the word. Ana is a prefix, meaning again. Memnesko, meaning purposefully remember. So together, that phrase says, to purposefully remember again. Notice it doesn't say to incidentally come across. It doesn't say to happen to get around to. It doesn't say to, if you think about it, it says to purposefully, to actively, to intentionally remember again. It's interesting, this is the only place in the all of scripture where this specific word, onamemnesko, is used in this manner. Only one other place that I could find in First Corinthians 13, but even that text is quoting this one. This is the only moment where Jesus uses this specific word. Why? Why, of all the things that, that he could say in this moment towards the end of his life or the beginning of, of craziness for the disciples and thus the church, why this specific word? Why, why is he so intentional about remembering, but not only remembering, but purposefully and actively remembering? Why is that the case? because he knew they'd forget. You see, Jesus knew what was on the other side of the door. Jesus Jesus knew what was about to happen for the disciples. He knew that uh, life was about to get crazy. He knew some of them would be imprisoned, would be isolated, be punished, beaten, some of them even killed for the sake of the gospel. He knew that once he sent his spirit in Acts chapter 2, that life was about to get wild stuff's gonna start piling up on the desk, right? The church has been launched and, and there's all kinds of work and ministry to be done. It's gonna get busy. The pace is gonna pick up a little bit and your life's about to get crazy. I, I think he also knew that there'd be moments where life would get so loud that it would be so difficult to hear that still small voice of the Spirit of God. He knew and so he tells them to purposefully remember again because he knew they need to be reminded. And to be totally honest, friend, I, I think you and I are very similar. I don't think we're all that different from the disciples. I don't think that message is only intended for them. I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think that it's possible that there's a lot that we can relate to in all of that. I think with the commitments that we have sometimes, life gets a little bit busy. I think with, with work, with kids, with family, sports, obligations, commitments, social events, business, trips, all of the different things that go on, that sometimes for us, life can get so loud, overwhelming, that we can forget Jesus. Maybe circumstances can become so difficult, so hard, you can go through things that cause you to grow distant and you forget about the Lord, and we never say it that way, right? We never say, oh, I forgot Jesus. We, that, that, that seems unnatural, and even for me to say it that way, I think can, 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 it can just feel weird, right? Like, of course I wouldn't forget Jesus. We wouldn't say it that way, but it, it might sound crazy to hear that, but it's, I don't think it's that it's an intentional distance. I don't think that we purposefully walk away from the Lord. I don't think that we we, uh, we, we actively choose to, to, to separate ourselves from God. I don't think we wake up in the morning and go, no, I don't want anything about Jesus today. I don't, I don't think that happens. It happens over time. We don't wake up one morning and throw it all away. We don't wake up one morning and, and realize, like, oh, goodness, I was close yesterday. Now I'm not today. No, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a slow fade. It's a gradual turn. It happens over time, and it just kind of happens. Or one day we look up and realize that there isn't a single thing on our calendar that could not happen apart from the very presence of God. We take inventory of our lives, we look at our commitments and our our schedules and our obligations and the, the pace of our lives and we begin to realize, hey, this is all fine, but the Lord is really in none of it. I'm asking him to bless it, but I'm asking him to grow a seed that I haven't planted. And we look up and we realize oh boy, I've become so self-sufficient. I've lost my dependence on the Lord in a pursuit of independence. I've become so structured and programmed that i programmed the Lord right out of it. I've not left room. There's no margin. There is no connection. And I don't think that we intentionally do that. I think it just kind of happens. Life forces us in that direction. I think this is what the words of Robert Robinson, who wrote, Come thou foul. And when he said these words, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Think about that. Prone to wander. I'm given to that. And I leave the very God that I love. This is why Jesus would use this word purposefully remember me. And it's in that moment, that moment of realization, of conviction, of of recognizing that there's a gap, that there's a distance, that something has happened, a cause, a void, that you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to continue to walk in independence, self-sufficiency? I don't need nobody's help. Or will we come back to the table? It says that Jesus reclined at the table very casually, wanted this moment to be a personal moment. Will we come back to the table? That is, will we choose to pause, press pause on life long enough to allow ourselves to remember? Will we. Lay aside our independence, our busyness, our commitments, and the pace, and maybe even for some, our, our sin. We lay it aside long enough to come back to the table. Warren Weersby, a great theologian, man of God. Died, he passed away, went to heaven a couple years ago. I had the privilege of, of sitting in one of Warren Weersby's last sermons he ever preached. If you've never heard of Warren Weersby, he is a, a, a scholar among scholars, one of the smartest men that I've ever been in the same room with. And he came and spoke. He was a mentor of a pastor I served under in Georgia um, when we were there before we moved to Franklin. And, 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 and Dr. Weersby came in and he spoke. And, and it was in that message that he said these words. He's talking about communion and he said, The Christian who walks with the Lord and keeps constant communion with him, will see many reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving all day long. The Christian who walks with the Lord, who keeps constant communion, his implication is interesting, that it's possible to live in constant communion with God. The Christian who walks in in consistent fellowship with the Lord will see many reasons. Other implication... The reasons are always there. But what happens? Life gets in the way. It clouds that view. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. They don't go away. Your attention turns. We'll see many reasons. Friend, I know we can't live on the mountaintops of life. I know we... There's not enough life up there. I realize that mountaintop experiences are not possible on a consistent basis, but I do believe that you and I can climb the mountain more often. I think there's moments we can go to the Lord more frequently than we might. Dr. Wearsby, I believe, is incredibly wise and spot on here. You walk with consistent communion with the Lord you'll see many reasons for thanksgiving. And what that does for you is it allows you to look in the face of difficulty. Allows you to take inventory of a circumstance and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who's holding it. Allows you to see the promise over the problem. Allows you to experience the Lord in a fresh way that is louder and brighter and more abundant than any circumstance ever might be. Constant Communion. A friend of mine tells a story about an elderly couple. You might have heard about this story, some version of it. Elderly couple, single cab pickup truck, driving down the road, probably like an 86 that would not pass inspection in Williamson County. <laughs> Shifter in the middle. You know, a truck's seen a lot of miles, a lot of, a lot of memories, right? They're driving down the road, and they're, they're sitting in the seats, kind of, you know, one and the other, a the little single cab truck, and they pull up at this red light. And as all, all old men do when they drive, they all, they all have the one hand on the wheel, and they kind of prop their arm up, right? I'm 28 now, I understand. And so uh, they got the arm right here, and he's just, just sitting there. And they pull up to this red light, and up next to them is a small pickup truck, similar to this one, maybe a couple years newer. And in that, that pickup truck is a young couple, teenage, maybe, maybe college age, and... They pull up to the red light, and, and he's sitting in his seat, and she is dangerously close to him, like might get pulled over close to him, right? Like they are just could not be more in love, and she can't sit close enough, right? And the, 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 the wife looks out the window and kind of sees that and smiles and looks back at her husband, who's still propped up like this, and she says, remember when we were that way? Missed those days, Husband just looked through the windshield and never missed a beat. He said, I never moved. (laughs) See, he can't move. He's sitting in the driver's seat. (laughs) So he looks over, and it's that moment the wife has a decision to make, right? (laughs) Swallow the pride. Oh, boy, there's really no getting out of this one, right? So what does she do? She quietly just kind of slides over. Just kind of scoots back closer to the, the driver's seat, right? I think my wife might have a different reaction, but, you know, it is what it is in my house. Uh, but that, the wife has that moment of having to slide back over. Why? Because he never moved. Friends, I think communion moments are the same way. I think we look up one day and realize, man, you remember how distant or how, how close I was at one point? Maybe you see that in the life of someone you know. You see God moving and even a young person or an older person or a friend, a family member, someone that you see even at church and you're like, man, I remember when that was me or I remember when I was crying during worship or when I was lifting my hands or when I was serving. I remember all those things. And you have to ask yourself, what happened? Who moved? It's communion moments like that that, Give us the opportunity to scoot across the seat. Come back. Slide back over. Come back in the arm like you're 16 again. And you sit with the Lord. You come in close. We return to the Father like a kid coming back from college. Dirty laundry and all. By the way, teach your high school students how to do laundry. Can we just, just for a second, let's, this, this is just me. Teach him to wash clothes. Back over here. All right. <laughs> so, uh, but you do. You bring it back in sin, shame, difficulty, circumstance, problem, worry, fear, overcommitment, over- overwhelmed feeling. You bring it all back in. And that's the moment when you come to the table. Slide back over. You come in close. You make that decision. I'm coming back to the table. There's a moment recorded for us that kind of validates a lot of my theory about Jesus and why he would say this in John chapter 21. You can turn there if you want to. John 21. So one book over, chapter uh, 21 of the book of John. Uh, I don't have that that on the screen, guys. I apologize. Uh, this was an 8:15 edition, and so uh, this morning, and so uh, Lord hit me in the stem and said, Hey, you need to use this, and I was like, All right. So Uh, John chapter 21, where we see this moment. Verse 2 of John chapter 21, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. The the, the band was back together. This is following Jesus' resurrection, last chapter of the book of John. Bands back together. Verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. He's a real man, right? I'm going fishing. And they all said, We're coming with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Unsuccessful, right? No stories to tell. It doesn't make the paper. There is, it's like we ne- it never happened, right? We're not going to tell anybody we tried tonight. And, and, and they would go fishing at night. They went out at night because if they caught anything, they could sell at fresh in the market in the morning. And so in verse 4, it says, When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. Remember, he's, this is post resurrection. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5. Friends, Jesus called to them. Friends, you don't have any fish, do you? Yikes. Unsuccessful. You didn't catch anything, did you? The moment of humility in verse uh, number 5 there at the back end says, No, very simply. They don't want to tell the story. They don't want to expand. Just No, they're just not here today, right? In verse 8. Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. This is the equivalent of of the fishermen going, it was this big, right? Like, this is is the moment where so many that they're not even able to haul it in. In verse 7, the disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, the book of John is written by John. So anytime you see the one Jesus loved, that's John elevating himself a little bit, right? Think about that. It's, this is John's letter. The, the one Jesus loved. He ain't talking about Matthew. This is John. He says, it's the Lord, he said to Peter. In verse 8, since they were not far off from the land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And verse 9 says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish already lying on it, and bread. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. And verse 11, so Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, but who's counting? Right, like, it's clever that they would include it was that many, right? Like, it's the, we really did do well that day, right? 153, but I I mean, I lost count a little bit, but 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. What happens here? Jesus is resurrected. He's, he has he is, he is, um, uh, been, been revealing himself to them in a couple different ways. This is the third time this would happen. Comes from the shore. They're about 100 yards off. They go fishing. 100 yards off and Jesus calls to them and brings them back in. But notice what he did. When they got out on land, verse 9 said, they saw a charcoal fire there. Jesus had prepared the fire. They saw fish already lying on it. Jesus already had breakfast on the stove. You see, he was prepared for their arrival. And then in verse 12, he says these words. Come and have breakfast with me. Come and have breakfast with me. Inviting them in. Think about it. What were the disciples doing? They're fishing. Why? Because that's exactly what they'd been doing before they ever met Jesus. They just reverted back to what they knew. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I guess we just go back to where it started. I go back to, you know, just do, do what we were doing before, go back to the old way of life, go back to the, the things that we're comfortable with, that we, we know, I guess. And they'd seen so much of the Lord, seen his miracles, seen the work that he'd done, understood what he'd done for them. Yet their response following his resurrection, let's just go back to what I did before. And so Jesus gets out, goes, and meets them. How? Because he knew where to find them. Right back where they started. And friends, I don't know that you and I are very different. I think sometimes we experience the Lord in a powerful way. He, he, he changes us. He rescues us. He redeems us. We celebrate all the time the redemption of, of Jesus here. And that, that moment happens for, for us. But then what happens? Life comes back. The busyness picks up. I'll, I'll just go back to what I was doing before. We return back so the, the, the old way of life, we, as if we have forgotten our experience with the Lord. And all the while, Jesus is looking at us and inviting us in, saying, hey, come and have breakfast with me. Why? Because he knows exactly where to find you. He knows where to find you. And he invites us in. Come and have breakfast with me. Come dine with me. Come... Come be with me. Bring all your junk. Bring everything in. I want to be with you. You see, communion's not for perfect people. It's for hungry people. It's not an act of the righteous. It's for broken people. It's for hungry people. What do I mean about hungry? Psalm 34 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. How do you know the difference? Between good and not good because you've tried everything else. Ain't nobody loved me like Jesus. Taste and see the Lord is good. How do I know? Because I've tasted the alternative and it's nothing for me. I've, I've tried every well I know how to try. Come up empty every time. I've, I've been worn out by and I'm worn out with the world. I've come to a place where, man, I don't know what to do. I'm borderline desperate for the Lord to do something. i got to be satisfied. i got to be filled. That's what hungry looks like. It's that posture of, God, I need you. I've got to have you. When you realize, friend, that the only thing that could ever really matter in your life is a true movement of God. Amen. Nothing else will do. That's when you come to the table. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it 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 doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.